Section 20 of Library of the World's Best Mystery and Detective Stories, Volume 6. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Library of the World's Best Mystery and Detective Stories, Volume 6. By Julian Hawthorne, Editor. Section 20. A Tale of a Demon. From the Sanskrit of Somodiva. Translated by Charles H. Tawney. On the banks of the Godavari, there is a place named Pratishsana. In it there lived of old time a famous king, named Trivikramasena, the son of Vikramasena, equal to Indra in might. Every day, when he was in his hall of audience, a mendicant named Kashantisila came to see him, to pay him his respects, and presented him with a fruit and every day the king as soon as he received the fruit gave it into the hand of the superintendent of his treasury who was near him in this way ten years passed but one day when the mendicant had left the hall of audience after giving the fruit to the king the king gave it to a young pet monkey that had escaped from the hands of its keepers and happened to enter there while the monkey was eating that fruit it burst open and there came out of it a splendid priceless jewel when the king saw that, he took up the jewel and asked the treasurer the following question. Where have you put all those fruits, which I have been in the habit of handing over to you after they were given to me by the mendicant? When the superintendent of the treasury heard that, he was full of fear, and he said to the king, I used to throw them into the treasury from the window, without opening the door. If your majesty orders me, I will open it and look for them. When the treasurer said this, the king gave him leave to do so, and he went away and soon returned and said to the king i see that those fruits have all rotted away in the treasury and i also see that there is a heap of jewels there resplendent with radiant gleams when the king heard it he was pleased and gave those jewels to the treasurer and the next day he said to the mendicant who came as before mendicant why do you court me every day with great expenditure of wealth i will not take your fruit to-day until you tell me when the king said this, the mendicant said to him in private, I have an incantation to perform which requires the aid of a brave man. I request, hero, that you will assist me in it. When the king heard that, he consented, and promised him that he would do so. Then the mendicant was pleased, and he went on to say to that king, Then I shall be waiting for you at nightfall, in the approaching black fortnight, in the great cemetery here under the shade of a banyan tree and you must come to me there the king said well i will do so and the mendicant kashantasila returned delighted to his own dwelling then the heroic monarch as soon as he had got into the black fortnight remembered the request of the mendicant which he had promised to accomplish for him and as soon as night came he enveloped his head in a black cloth and left the palace unperceived sword in hand and went fearlessly to the cemetery it was obscured by a dense and terrible pall of darkness and its aspect was rendered awful by the ghastly flames from the burning of the funeral pyres and it produced horror by the bones skeletons and skulls of men that appeared in it in it were present formidable bhutas and vitalas joyfully engaged in their horrible activity and it was alive with the loud yells of jackals 
so that it seemed like a second mysterious tremendous form of Bhairava. And after he had searched about in it, he found that mendicant under a banyan tree, engaged in making a circle. And he went up to him and said, Here I am arrived, mendicant. Tell me, what can I do for you? When the mendicant heard that and saw the king, he was delighted and said to him, King, if I have found favor in your eyes, go alone a long way from here toward the south, and you will find an asoka tree. On it there is a dead man hanging up. Go and bring him here. Assist me in this matter, hero. As soon as the brave king, who was faithful to his promise, heard this, he said, I will do so, and went toward the south. And after he had gone some way in that direction, along a path revealed by the light of flaming pyres, he reached with difficulty in the darkness that Asoka tree. The tree was scorched with the smoke of funeral pyres, and smelled of raw flesh, and looked like a buta, and he saw the corpse hanging on its trunk, as it were on the shoulder of a demon. So he climbed up, and cutting the string which held it, flung it to the ground. And the moment it was flung down it cried out as if in pain. Then the king, supposing that it was alive, came down and rubbed its body out of compassion. That made the corpse utter a loud demoniac laugh. Then the king knew that it was possessed by a vitala, and said without flinching, Why do you laugh? Come, let us go off. And immediately he missed from the ground the corpse possessed by the vitala, and perceived that it was once more suspended up on that very tree. Then he climbed up again and brought it down, for the heart of heroes is a gem more impenetrable than adamant. Then King Trivikramasena threw the corpse possessed by Avetala over his shoulder, and proceeded to go off with it in silence. And as he was going along, the Vitala in the corpse that was on his shoulder said to him, King, I will tell you a story to beguile the way. Listen. The story of the prince who was helped to a wife by the son of his father's minister. There is a city, said the demon, named Varanasi, which is the dwelling place of Siva, inhabited by holy beings, and thus resembles the plateau of Mount Kailasa. The river Ganges, ever full of water, flows near it, and appears as if it were the necklace ever resting on its neck. In that city there lived of old time, a king named Pratapamukuta, who consumed the families of his enemies with his valor, as the fire consumes the forest. He had a son named Vajramukuta, who dashed the god of love's pride in his beauty and his enemies' confidence in their valor. And that prince had a friend named Bodhisattva, whom he valued more than his life, the sagacious son of a minister. Once on a time, that prince was amusing himself with that friend, and his excessive devotion to the chase made him travel a long distance. As he was cutting off the long-maned heads of lions with his arrows, as it were the chowries that represented the glory of their valor, he entered a great forest. It seemed like the chosen home of love, with singing cuckoos for bards, fanned by trees with their clusters of blossom, waving like chowries. In it he and the minister's son saw a great lake, looking like a second sea, the birthplace of lotuses of various colors, and in that pool by gods 
there was seen by him a maiden of heavenly appearance who had come there with her attendants to bathe she seemed to fill the splendid tank with the flood of her beauty and with her glances to create in it a new forest of blue lotuses with her face that surpassed the moon in beauty she seemed to put to shame the white lotuses and she at once captivated with it the heart of that prince the youth too in the same way took with a glance such complete possession of her eyes that she did not regard her own attire or even her ornaments and as he was looking at her with his attendants and wondering who she was she made under pretense of pastime a sign to tell him her country and other particulars about her she took a lotus from her garland of flowers and put it in her ear and she remained for a long time twisting it into a form of an ornament called dantapatra or tooth leaf and then she took another lotus and placed it on her head and she laid her hand significantly upon her heart the prince did not at the time understand these signs but his sagacious friend the minister's son did understand them the maiden soon departed being led away from that place by her attendants and when she had reached her own house she flung herself down on a sofa but her heart remained with that prince to justify the sign she had made the prince for his part when without her was like a vidyahara who has lost his magic knowledge and returning to his own city he fell into a miserable condition and one day the minister's son questioned him in private speaking of that beauty as easy to obtain whereupon he lost his self-command and exclaimed how is she to be obtained when neither her name nor her village nor her origin is known so why do you offer me false comfort when the prince said this to the minister's son he answered what did you not see what she told you by her signs by placing the lotus in her ear she meant to say this i live in the realm of king karnotpala by making it into the tooth-leaf ornament she meant to say know that i am the daughter of a dentist there by lifting up the lotus she let you know her name was padmavati and by placing her hand on her heart she told you that it was yours now there is a king named karnotpala in the country of kalinga he has a favorite courtier a great dentist named sangra mavardhana and he has a daughter named padmavati the pearl of the three worlds whom he values more than his life all this i know from the talk of the people and so i understand her signs which were meant to tell her country and the other particulars about her when that prince had been told all this by the minister's son he was pleased with that intelligent man and rejoiced as he had now got an opportunity of attaining his object and after he had deliberated with him he set out with him from his palace on the pretense of hunting but really in search of his beloved and went again in that direction and on the way he managed to give his retinue the slip by the speed of his swift horse and he went to the country of kalinga accompanied by the minister's son only there they reached the city of king karnatpala and searched for and found the palace of that dentist and the prince and the minister's son entered the house of an old woman who lived near there to lodge the minister's son gave their horses water and fodder and placed them there in concealment 
and then said to that old woman in the presence of the prince do you know mother a dentist named sangra mavardhana when the old woman heard that she said to him courteously i know him well i was his nurse and he has now made me attend upon his daughter as duenna but i never go there at present as i have been deprived of my clothes for my wicked son who is a gambler takes away my clothes as soon as he sees them when the minister's son heard this he was delighted and he gratified the old woman with the gift of his upper garment and other presents and went on to say to her you are a mother to us so do what we request you to do in secret go to that padmavati the daughter of the dentist and say to her the prince whom you saw at the lake has come here and out of love he has sent me to tell you when the old woman heard this she consented being won over by the presence and went to padmavati and came back in a moment and when the prince and the minister's son questioned her she said to them i went and told her secretly that you had come when she heard that she scolded me and struck me on both cheeks with her two hands smeared with camphor so i have come back weeping distressed at the insult see here my children these marks of her fingers on my face when she said this the prince was despondent as he despaired of attaining his object but the sagacious minister's son said to him in private do not despond for by keeping her own counsel and scolding the old woman and striking her on the face with her ten fingers white with camphor she meant to say wait for these remaining ten moonlight nights of the white fortnight for they are unfavorable to an interview after the minister's son had comforted the prince with these words he went and sold secretly in the market some gold which he had about him and made that old woman prepare a splendid meal and then those two ate it with that old woman after the minister's son had spent ten days in this fashion he again sent the old woman to padmavati to see how matters stood and she being fond of delicious food liquor and other enjoyments of the kind went again to the dwelling-house of padmavati to please her guests and returned and said to them i went there to-day and remained silent but she of her own accord taunted me with that crime of having brought your message and again struck me here on the breast with three fingers dipped in red dye so i have returned here thus marked by her when the minister's son heard this he said of his own accord to the prince do not entertain any despondent notions for by placing the impression of her three fingers marked with red dye on this woman's heart she meant to say i cannot receive you for three nights when the minister's son had said this to the prince he waited till three days had passed and again sent the old woman to padmavati she went to her palace and padmavati honored her and gave her food and lovingly entertained her that day with wine and other enjoyments and in the evening when the old woman wished to go back to her house there arose outside a terrible tumult then the people were heard exclaiming alas alas a mad elephant has escaped from the post to which he was tied and is rushing about trampling men to death then padmavati said to that old woman you must not go by the public road which is rendered unsafe by the elephant so we will put you on a seat with a rope fastened to it to support it and let you down by this broad window here into the garden of the house there you must get up a tree and cross this wall 
and then let yourself down by another tree and go to your own house after she had said this she had the old woman let down from the window by her maid into the garden by means of that seat with a rope fastened to it she went by the way pointed out to her and related the whole story exactly as it happened to the prince and the minister's son then the minister's son said to the prince your desire is accomplished for she has shown you by an artifice the way you should take so go there this very day as soon as evening sets in and by this way enter the palace of your beloved when the minister's son said this the prince went with him into the garden by the way over the wall pointed out by the old woman there he saw that rope hanging down with the seat and at the top of it were some maids who seemed to be looking out for his arrival so he got on the seat and the moment those female servants saw him they pulled him up with the rope and he entered the presence of his beloved through the window when he had entered the minister's son returned to his lodging and when the prince entered he beheld that padmavati with a face like a full moon shedding forth beauty like beams like the night of the full moon remaining concealed through fear of the black fortnight as soon as she saw him she rose up boldly and welcomed him with affectionate embraces and other endearments natural in one who had waited for him so long then the prince married that fair one by the gandharva form of marriage and all his wishes being now fulfilled remained with her in concealment and after he had lived with her some days he said to her one night my friend the minister's son came with me and is staying here and he is now left alone in the house of your duenna i must go and pay him a visit fair one and then i will return to you when the cunning padmavati heard that she said to her lover come now my husband i have a question to ask you did you guess the meaning of those signs which i made or was it that friend of yours the minister's son when she said this the prince said to her i did not guess anything at all but that friend of mine the minister's son who is distinguished for superhuman insight guessed it all and told it to me when the fair one heard this she reflected and said to him then you have acted wrongly in not telling me about him before since he is your friend he is my brother and i must always honor him before all others with gifts of vatel and other luxuries when she had dismissed him with these words the prince left the palace at night by the way by which he came and returned to his friend and in the course of conversation he told him that he had told his beloved how he guessed the meaning of the signs which she made but the minister's son did not approve of this proceeding on his part considering it imprudent and so the next day dawned on them conversing then as they were again talking together after the termination of the morning prayer the confidant of padmavati came in with betel and cooked food in her hand she asked after the health of the minister's son and after giving him the dainties in order by an artifice to prevent the prince from eating any of them she said in the course of conversation that her mistress was awaiting his arrival to feast and spend the day with her and immediately she departed unobserved then the minister's son said to the prince now observe prince i will show you something wonderful thereupon he gave that cooked food to a dog to eat and the dog as soon as it had eaten it fell dead on the spot 
when the prince saw that he said to the minister's son what is the meaning of this marvel and he answered him the truth is that the lady has found out that i am intelligent by the fact that i guessed the meaning of her signs and so she has sent me this poisoned food in order to kill me for she is deeply in love with you and thinks that you prince will never be exclusively devoted to her while i am alive but being under my influence will perhaps leave her and go to your own city so give up the idea of being angry with her persuade the high-spirited woman to leave her relations and i will invent and tell you an artifice for carrying her off when the minister's son had said this the prince said to him you are rightly named Bodhisattva, as being an incarnation of wisdom and at the very moment that he was thus praising him there was suddenly heard outside a general cry from the sorrowing multitude alas alas the king's infant son is dead the minister's son was much delighted at hearing this and he said to the prince repair now to padmavati's palace at night and there make her drink so much that she shall be senseless and motionless with intoxication and apparently dead and when she is asleep make a mark on her side with a red-hot iron spike and take away all her ornaments and return by letting yourself down from the window by a rope and after that i will take steps to make everything turn out prosperously when the minister's son had said this he had a three-pronged spike made with points like the bristles of a boar and gave it to the prince and the prince took in his hand that weapon which resembled the crooked hard hearts of his beloved and of his friend which were firm as black iron and saying i will do as you direct went at night to the palace of padmavati as before for princes should never hesitate about following the advice of an excellent minister there he made his beloved helpless with drink and marked her on the side with the spike and took away her ornaments and then he returned to that friend of his and he showed him the ornaments and told him what he had done then the minister's son considered his design as good as accomplished and the next morning the minister's son went to the cemetery and promptly disguised himself as an ascetic and he made the prince assume the guise of a disciple and he said to him go and take the pearl necklace which is part of this set of ornaments and pretend to try to sell it in the market but put a high price on it that no one may be willing to buy it and that every one may see it being carried about and if the police here should arrest you say intrepidly my spiritual preceptor gave it to me to sell when the minister's son had sent off the prince on this errand he went and wandered about in the market-place publicly showing the necklace and while he was thus engaged he was seen and arrested by the police who were on the lookout for thieves as information had been given about the robbery of the dentist's daughter and they immediately took him to the chief magistrate of the town and he seeing that he was dressed as an ascetic said to him courteously reverend sir where did you get this necklace of pearls which was lost in this city for the ornaments of the dentist's daughter were stolen during the night when the prince who was disguised as an ascetic heard this he said my spiritual preceptor gave it to me come and question him then the magistrate of the city came to the minister's son and bowed and said to him reverend sir where did you get this pearl necklace that is in the possession of your pupil 
when the cunning fellow heard that he took him aside and said i am an ascetic in the habit of wandering perpetually backwards and forwards in the forest as chance would have it i arrived here and as i was in the cemetery at night i saw a band of witches collected from different quarters and one of them brought the prince with the lotus of his heart laid bare and offered him to bhairava and the witch who possessed great powers of delusion being drunk tried to take away my rosary while i was reciting my prayers making horrible contortions with her face and as she carried the attempt too far i got angry and heeding with a charm the prongs of my trident i marked her on the side and then i took this necklace from her neck and now i must sell this necklace as it does not suit an ascetic when the magistrate heard this he went and informed the king when the king heard it he concluded that that was the pearl necklace which had been lost and he sent a trustworthy old woman to see if the dentist's daughter was really marked with a trident on her side the old woman came back and said that the mark could be clearly seen then the king made up his mind that she was a witch and had really destroyed his child so he went in person to that minister's son who was personating an ascetic and asked him how he ought to punish padmavati and by his advice he ordered her to be banished from the city though her parents lamented over her and when she was banished and was left in the forest though desolate she did not abandon the body supposing that it was all an artifice devised by the minister's son and in the evening the minister's son and the prince who had abandoned the dress of ascetics and were mounted on their horses came upon her lamenting and they consoled her and mounted her upon a horse and took her to their own kingdom there the prince lived happily with her but the dentist supposing that his daughter had been devoured by wild beasts in the forest died of grief and his wife followed him when the vitala had said this he went on to say to the king now i have a doubt about this story resolve it for me was the minister's son guilty of the death of this married couple or the prince or padmavati tell me for you are the chief of sages and if king you do not tell me the truth though you know it this head of yours shall certainly split into a hundred pieces when the vatala said this the king who discerned the truth out of fear of being cursed gave him this answer o thou skilt in magic arts what difficulty is there about it why none of the three was in fault but the whole of the guilt attaches to king karnatpala the vitala then said why what did the king do those three were instrumental in the matter are the crows in fault when the swans eat the rice then the king said indeed no one of the three was in fault for the minister's son committed no crime as he was forwarding his master's interests and padmavati and the prince being burned with the fire of the arrows of the god of love and being therefore undiscerning and ignorant were not to blame as they were intent on their own object but the king karnatpala as being untaught in treatises of policy and not investigating by means of spies the true state of affairs even among his own subjects and not comprehending the tricks of rogues and inexperienced in interpreting gestures and other external indications is to be considered guilty on account of the indiscreet step which he took when the vitala who was in the corpse heard this as the king by giving this correct answer had broken his silence he immediately left his shoulder 
and went somewhere unobserved by the force of his magic power in order to test his persistence and the intrepid king at once determined to recover him end of section twenty